We believe there's a real opportunity here. Um, there's certainly a massive need, and I think the the art and the fun that we get to have in, in our work as investing in early stage innovative startups is turning that need into a real investable opportunity. And, and we do that in, in part by recognizing um, that that the question of customer readiness is really a matter of the, the uh, suitability of the solution, um, that the energy service be delivered in a way that both small farmers and the agribusinesses that serve small farmers and, uh, and develop the, uh, the agricultural value chains can, take, can best take advantage of. That was Seth Silverman of Factor E Ventures, a builder of companies working at the intersection of food and energy. And this is the Power for All podcast, a forum for leaders working to end energy poverty. I'm your host, William Brent. In support of this year's UN Food Systems Summit, our conversation with Factory is part of a special series we're doing on the critical link between food systems and decentralized renewable energy. Our goal is to shed light on game-changing ideas in Africa and Asia that can help ensure sustainable energy for all, improve farmers' lives, and support economic growth. Seth is joined by his colleague, Morgan DeFort. The two are principals at Factor E, which has been one of the earliest investors exploring the opportunity to scale the food value chain on the back of renewable energy. Welcome, Seth and Morgan. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. Glad to be here. Great. So, um, you know, Factor E published a report late last year called The Opportunity at the Nexus of Agriculture and Energy which was based on your firsthand experience over the past probably three or four years, helping to scale early stage companies involved in cold chain processing and other parts of the food value chain. So Seth, first things first, is there actually an investment opportunity for using mini grids and other distributed solar solutions to power the agri-food value chain in Africa and developing Asia? I ask because it seems like we may have a situation where energy suppliers are looking for a market of farmers that aren't quite ready. So, you know, in an on, from your honest opinion, is this is this all a pipe dream, or is there really an opportunity? No, we we believe there's a real opportunity here. Um, there's certainly a massive need, and I think the the art and the fun that we get to have in in our work as investing in early stage innovative startups is turning that need into a real investable opportunity. And and we do that in, in part by recognizing um, that that the question of customer readiness is really a matter of the, the uh, suitability of the solution, um, that the energy service be delivered in a way that both small farmers and the agribusinesses that serve small farmers and, uh, and develop the, uh, the agricultural value chains can, take, can best take advantage of. Um, we focus our agricultural investments around sustainable intensification on the one hand, and post-harvest loss reduction and market linkages on the other. And there are ag energy overlaps and opportunities in each of those areas. Um, it's mostly a matter of delivering the energy services in the right way. So you can look at a, a range of examples from our portfolio, whether it's a company like Sistema Bio, which takes uh, livestock waste on the farm and turns it into uh, usable uh, home and productive power uh, for farmers with say a, a, a few dairy cows or more, or companies on the back end of the value chain, like Inspira Farms, which use solar energy, thermal storage, and, uh, and then integrate with small agricultural traders or exporters to deliver produce um, from the first mile into high value chains in the service of farmers. So the opportunity is definitely there. Um, the scale to date is, is where we really need to do a lot of work. And um, I, I imagine we'll get, get into some of what's necessary to achieve that in the course of this conversation. 
Absolutely. So one one uh, sort of clarifying question before we get to that is, I mean, do you ultimately see this as a market that will be developed by agricultural first businesses or energy first businesses? I, I think it'll, it'll it'll depend a little bit on on each instance. Um, so so if you're talking about irrigation, you're going to have to start from the agricultural need. If you're talking about demand stimulation, you're looking really from the lens of the the energy company or the de- energy developer themselves. Um, but for the most part, we 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 recommend folks trying to look for opportunity at the Ag Energy Nexus to start at the demand at the agricultural uh, need, um, and then solve for that by figuring out how to deliver the energy service uh, to that agricultural need. No matter what sector you're in, frankly, energy is not an end to itself. It's a lot, it's what allows you to in, enjoy lighting or entertainment at night, communicate with friends, loved ones, and and, and associates, um, or power your businesses. And so in general, we encourage uh, energy access companies to really think about themselves as a service and dig deeply into understanding their customers. They're trying to serve agriculture, their customers, farmers, agribusiness. I might just add to that as the, as the tech nerd that, you know, for 150 years, agriculture has developed around typically small diesel engines, whether those were running devices or sitting on a tractor. And so you have a sector that has used energy in a way that is different than we ideally like to deliver energy through through solar power, which is the cheapest, you know, smallest scale accessible power that we now have access to on the renewable side. And so that doesn't mean it won't work, but it does mean that there's a lot of pressure on innovators to think about interesting business models uh, to say, how do I take something that was very high power but using it for long periods of time is expensive and replace that with something that likes to be used for every day from, you know, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., right? Uh, So there are a lot of interesting applications in agriculture where we need to change our thinking and go from a power idea to an energy idea. We need to think about kilowatt hours instead of kilowatts. Um, and, And that's an interesting shift. And that takes both kind of innovation around technologies and also innovative business models to, to make that shift. Yeah, that's pretty nerdy. So basically what you're saying, though, is uh, like focus on the service, uh, focus on the service side uh, as opposed to just delivering electrons. Yeah, well, let me give you a, a specific example. Uh, when it comes to irrigation, the way it's typically done is flood irrigation. And that works really well with a diesel engine, a big pipe of water and an hour of operation. And you can do that a couple times a year. What we'd really love to see is that be delivered through drip irrigation because through drip irrigation, we can deliver a small amount of water every day using a small PV panel uh, to move water a little bit at a time. And so it's fundamentally a different approach. And so there's, there's both technology changes that need to happen to make renewable energy more attractive, but there's also behavior changes for farmers and business model innovations to help farmers become comfortable with those behavior changes. And so I think we see a lot of examples where there's opportunity, but it requires adapting to the to a new power source, which is the sun versus a diesel fuel. And then just to build on that, build on that point and, and cycle back to your original question, if you think about you know, whether there's an ag energy opportunity here, let's stick with irrigation uh, for a moment. What, what, what we've seen is that we there there are lots of ways to look at the farmer or or the farmer business level on a spreadsheet and say look how 
much better this farmer will be if she irrigates, and, and even more so if she irrigates with drip irrigation. And then to look at the continental scale and say only 4% of arable, arable land in Africa is irrigated, ergo, we've got a massive market opportunity here. But, but ask, you know, how do you get from the, the spreadsheet to the continental opportunity? Um, where heat map the market for me? Where are the the the, the concentrate the, the the sort of the hot zones of concentrated uh, market opportunities? And and you you tend to get a little bit of a blank stare in response. And so we've we've done some work with some of our uh, partner companies, some of our investees, to identify where is there surface or groundwater resource that's uh, that's accessible for, uh, for 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 smallholder farmers. Um, where are those smallholder farmers growing crops that tend to need and, and benefit from uh, a reliable irrigation? And where are those farmers creditworthy so that you could finance a pump and, and irrigation solution to that farmer? And then the continental scale market opportunity shrinks substantially and, and yet still can be grown and exploited if approached with a comprehensive solution in the way that Mark Morgan was just describing. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Got it. So uh, just to, I mean, Morgan, you started to allude to some of the barriers that are inherent in, in trying to scale this. Um, and in the report, you talk about the need for more agricultural businesses and farmer aligned intermediaries for technical innovations, matchmaking between the two sectors and risk absorption from funders and governments to help to get some of these technologies and solutions off the ground. That's a lot of market gaps. Uh, so I'm curious if, if you would say that there are any top priorities that are um, you know, must-haves in order to, to unlock some of the other things that you've identified. <laughs> I, I think the first must-have is flexibility. Um, I, there are a lot of people trying a lot of things out there. And often, I think, whether it's us as investors, whether it is, is donors or, or investors in the space more broadly, um, we tend to get attached to our programmatic uh, demands and the need to work and find solutions in one space. And I think this is a case where we have to listen to what the market is telling us and what people on the ground are saying and allow them the space and freedom to innovate. Um, because the best solutions are going to come from people who are on the ground, armed with the information that we don't always have when we stand at a distance. And so I think you're right. Um, the only answer I have for that is to be innovative, be flexible, move quickly, uh, try lots of things, fail fast. And then when something starts to work, uh, be prepared to support it. Um, so I know that's a little bit of a, uh, intangible answer. I can't just say, um, you know, irrigation at uh, three and a half horsepower is where it's at. I, but I really do believe that that flexibility, uh, willingness to innovate, and for the people who control the resource to, to be flexible and, and innovative and, and ready to move quickly is critical. I just want to build on and pick up on one of the things you said, Morgan, at the end, which is when something's working, then, then you want to really life into it and scale it, right? And so that's that's the piece I think where particularly for the policymakers and the public sector uh, listeners in this audience, we really want to hit home. When, when there's a concept that's that's taking root, um, that's when you want to fuel it, give it oxygen, make sure that it can grow and, and send a really clear demand signal because there are still at every different juncture of growing solutions and scaling them, there are different valleys of depth. And so we, we exist to bridge, you know, technology concept, particularly in a, in a moment where there's a, a real exciting proliferation of 
um, renewable decentralized technologies globally and, and bring those to this market opportunity and, and in service of these needs. But then when something's working, you really want to open it up. And, and that's where policymakers and governments can really play a role. So can you send a clear signal um, that mini grids and cold storage should be matched? in a particular region by bringing your agricultural ministry and your rural energy agency together and saying this region we're going to we're going to drive this experiment likewise with irrigation likewise with food processing um, and value addition um, at the first mile so I, I think there are ways to say let's take examples of success and then use the scale and demand signal that that the public and public sector can send to to kind of put jet fuel in the tank Okay, well, so you, I mean, you're, you're investors. I mean, have you seen anything that's going to be positive uh, in your portfolio in the next year or two? I mean, are there profitable businesses that are on the cusp of, of getting there? The short answer is yes. I think the, the question that we really want to be asking is about scale rather than profitability. Maybe that's us speaking as, as risk-taking VCs. I would say uh, half a dozen at least of our ag energy companies could, could get to the point of profitability pretty quickly, but it might come at the expense of growth. Um, and, and really what we're interested in is putting a dent in the universe, tackling these problems at, at scale rather than solving them in, in, in a small corner or, or only harvesting the low-hanging fruit. But the short answer is yes, there are profitable business to, businesses to be had at the Ag Energy Nexus. So, you know, I think just looking at your portfolio and, and just looking at more generally at, at what's, you know, coming out of the market uh, in terms of solutions, from what I can tell anyway, it seems that the private sector is trying to solve for specific parts of the va uh, agricultural and food value chain, right? So we've talked about irrigation, but there's also agro-processing. You mentioned cold, cold chain. Don't we need an end-to-end -end solution here? Um, why are we looking just at providing irrigation you know, power for irrigation that could also potentially be, you know, increased in, in size to also potentially power processing? Or does that not make sense? Uh, do you guys have a thesis on that based on your experience to date? Yeah, I would say, you know, I'll, I'll refer to, uh, you know, in software, uh, the quote, you know, you can, you can have success two ways in software, bundling and unbundling. Um, I think you have the same issues in the, the landscape here, which is that, Every value chain we look at um, has failures up and down the value chain. And you can tackle those failures two different ways. You can try to vertically integrate a business um, and, and just address those challenges head on. And in some cases, that makes a lot of sense. In fact, there's an old report that, that is still worth pulling off the shelf uh, that Seth wrote around the value of doing too much which made just this case that sometimes you have to bring the complete solution to the table. Um, other times we see that as we start to solve some of these challenges, um, specialization really helps. And so I'll just give one example. Um, in, our, in our portfolio, we, we are really happy to have Apollo Agriculture and they really needed to do several pieces of the solution, bringing high quality inputs to farmers, uh, deciding if they're credit worthy, providing an insurance product, et cetera. They use satellite data to, to make those decisions. We're starting to see specialization around the ability to pull and, and, and analyze and, and look at satellite data and starting to see 
under the hood partnerships where we can do that more effectively and, and faster and, and, and everything else. And so you look at this and say, it, it really is becoming a case by case uh, instance where in some cases we wanna see a company really take on all of these challenges. Uh, in some cases, it's great for them to work with partners uh, to get parts of their solution cheaper, better, faster. I would say the most important thing is that they understand the value chain from top to bottom and they have an answer for who's going to do what and not simply say, and then, you know, TBD will take up and, and customers will come knocking at our door. And so I think in every investment we make in every portfolio company we have, there are deep conversations around the entire value chain from top to bottom uh, with a recognition, you know, recognition that we don't have enough capital in this sector to necessarily build companies that are just going to do it all. And in fact, sometimes that's not the most effective way to, to build those vertically integrated platforms. Um, sometimes it's best to have teams that focus on their piece of the puzzle. And this is where you see a, a clustered investments we make, where we see synergies between investments that we make and, and hope that those are going to work with each other in the future. So, uh, I mean, but maybe just on that point, um, it, our, our, I mean, and so in solar home system market and the mini grid market, we've seen, um, you know, big strategics, global strategics from the energy sector come into uh, these markets, right? They're still trying to figure it out, but they're there. Um, do you see the big strategic agricultural service companies looking to get into this uh, business as well so that they can actually very probably very easily provide a vertically integrated uh, solution? Um, or is that not going to happen? I would, I would love to pick up my crystal ball right now and, and, and tell you the answer to that question. I, I think it, it remains to be seen. I think in many respects, there's actually plenty of scope for the same large energy companies that uh, dip their toe in the waters with the solar home systems market to look at other ways to deliver productive energy. And I think cold storage is a great example of that. Um, in other cases, it will be very market and, and value chain dependent. How interested um, the, the larger agri-food processing companies are in going up the value chain and deeper into the markets. Um, that's a little bit to be seen and to be determined. I'll say we, we've seen quite a good deal of interest in that uh, for our ag energy portfolio companies in India, and we're optimistic about that trend um, taking root there, expanding there, and then obviously expanding more broadly to some of the other markets that we're in. Um, but it's a little too early to say. Yeah, thanks, Seth. So I, I don't know if you saw recently uh, Ghana announced that they're not basically not going to export any more uh, cocoa uh, to Switzerland, right? And that they're going to try and uh, process and add value to that uh, crop I I domestically, right? And capture that value. Um, and I think in, in maybe it was you, Seth, who, who mentioned a statistic to me that uh, you know Africa imports about four hundred million dollars of processed fruit and vegetables a year. But at the same time, agro-processing is predicted to be, you know, one of the, the fastest growing subsector in agriculture in the next decade, right? A huge, you know, multi-billion dollar uh, industry. Um, is is processing, agro-processing the key to unlocking this opportunity? And, you know, if, if so, what kind of time horizon are we looking at? It, it's, it's, a, it's a major component. And, um, and I think it will be, it will be, very important to see what level, what 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 flows of capital go into agro-processing, particularly in Africa, over the next five to ten years. In, in particular, right right now we we have you know a, a lot of individual um, companies investing in their value chains and a lot of individual examples of kind of project level scale, but not market level scale. 
Um, when we, once we start to see market level scale, and it's a little bit hard to predict when that will be, but once we start to see that, that's when this opportunity really opens up. That's when you begin to, you know, as, as Morgan was alluding to earlier, that's when you begin to see a little bit more specialization and, and ag energy technology solutions that sell into uh, a scaling and maturing market rather than having to create the market as they build their technology solution. Um, we're not there yet in all the corners we'd like to to, to be there in, um, but uh, but but I'd say over the next five to ten years we'll 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 be let's put it this way if we're not a lot farther along then then we're missing the, the mark on a lot of our sustainable development targets um, and, and and just leaving a lot of value on the table as well. Um, one one last question um, is you you know you I mentioned Ghana uh, I think Seth you were talking about policy and signals from governments uh, to help drive markets are you seeing any particular country in sub-Saharan Africa or in South Asia that's really getting the policy piece of this correct? Certainly, I, you can point to, to, to different examples of good policy that's out there. Um, but I'm not sure our, our, our answer would be any less sort of nervous laughter if you asked us, do you see any, any country in U.S. or Europe getting, getting this right? Um, there's not enough support um, that's delivered effectively from government to smallholder farmers really anywhere in the world. Um, and that support um, really has to be fairly comprehensive. But there are things that governments do and can do and focus on that it's harder for um, private solutions to deliver. Um, advisory services and information, uh, risk transfer in terms of, um, you know, in terms of insurance products, um, or at least uh, enabling a market for insurance products. And, and likewise, in terms of um, uh, creating an inducement for service to the low transaction size high transaction cost smallholder farmers um, in, 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 in the uh, farm inputs market in particular. And then, and then obviously anything that governments do to invest in infrastructure um, and essentially smooth the, the, the path to reaching farmers and communities in rural areas uh, goes a long way to making agricultural businesses more viable. I would just double down on that point of Seth's. I mean, infrastructure is so important for, for rural agriculture. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes it's, it's unfortunate that some of the, the least sexy ideas or, or initiatives have the most value and so they get overlooked. Um, you know, we're, we're still trying to figure out how to fix bridges in the United States. Um, metaphorically smoothing the road, uh, uh, as Seth said, is true. Physically smoothing the road is also true. Um, it, it's hard to get value chains uh, created in rural areas without physical infrastructure. And so, you know, it's exciting to see some positive momentum on that front, but I also think it's important when we have platforms like we do to, to mention that just that core infrastructure is so important and has such a great economic return for, for the countries who invest in it. Great. Well, um, Seth and Morgan, thanks to both of you for making time to, to speak about your experiences and the, the future of the ag food nexus. Um, and I, uh, look forward to seeing where you guys take it from here. Um, and can you remind our listeners, uh, where we can look, uh, see or find that report that you came out with last year? Absolutely. So if you go to our website at factore.com, that's F-A-C-T-O-R-E.com and go to the insights section, um, the report and, and a few others, um, that would be of interest to this conversation are, are available right there. Um, and I definitely encourage people to, to check that out. Thanks so much for having us. It's been a treat. Thanks a lot. Thanks, everyone, for listening. 
A reminder that you can find a wealth of sector news, analysis, and data on our website, powerforall.org, and our platform for energy access knowledge, which we call PEAK, P-E-A-K. You can also sign up for our monthly newsletter and other updates. And if you feel like making a tax-deductible contribution to Power for All, you can do so from our homepage. Speak with you soon on the next episode of Power for All.